0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good morning, those who are watching from the chapel, and good morning for Life Center folks as well. I was in Uganda several years ago with a team of guys, and we were in a canoe for 14 days going to 11 islands in the middle of Lake Victoria to share the good news, to share the gospel. Some of those islands were so remote that I was the first Mzungu that some of the little children saw. Mzungu translates one with a white face and I've got a really pale white face. And so I was a pale Mzungu to to them. And there were kids that would run up to us having never seen a, a pale white face. It was an amazing trip, and uh, we had five Ugandan pastors with us. These five pastors would help us with translation, they'd kind of help us with the cultural do's and the cultural don'ts. And one of the pastors, his name was Wilson. And if you look on the screen, here's a picture of Wilson on my shoulders. You can tell this is a few years ago from my hairline. You could tell that's not what it's looking like right now. But uh, Wilson was one of those pastors, and all the Ugandan pastors were terrified of the water. They were terrified of crocodiles. They were terrified of hippos. And so we would put them on our shoulders and jump out of the canoe and would walk to the shore. And the next day or two days later, when we would leave that island, we would get them back on our shoulders. They didn't want to touch the water, didn't want to be near the crocodiles, did not want to be near the hippos. I'm a fairly slow American, so it took me a few times to realize, wait a minute. If that guy is scared of, of crocodiles... And if that guy's scared of the water, that guy who lives here is scared of hippos. What is this Mazungu doing, you know, walking around the, the waters? And then it crossed my mind again a few days later. If a crocodile gets me, it's going to get him too. Like I'm, I'm going down as the main course and Wilson becomes the dessert, you know, to that crocodile afterwards. But I want you to see this picture of, of Wilson because he's one of my heroes. He became a pastor at the young age of 23 Right when a dictator took over Uganda, some of you who are more my age will perhaps remember this name, Idi Amin. Idi Amin was known as the butcher of Uganda. He killed half a million Christians, half a million dissidents in the eight years that he was in power. He, I think he was possessed like Joseph Kony would be possessed or Hitler or Bin Laden. Just was a man of great anger, great hatred toward Christians. Well, that's right when Wilson was pastoring in Uganda And one day, while Wilson was preaching, the SRG came in, which was kind of the CIA for them, the secret police for Idi Amin, came in and demanded that Wilson leave the pulpit, demanded that Wilson stop preaching, to step down, and never to preach again. The congregation began to kind of separate the secret police away from Wilson. And Wilson understood what they were doing. They were trying to squeeze them out so Wilson could run out the back door and and flee, and flee for his life. But instead, Wilson said, no, no, don't, don't push the secret police away. In fact, congregation, I want you to get on your knees and pray for them. And Wilson was taken by the secret police, taken to Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda. And there he was beaten and tortured for a year. His torturers said... If you return to your hometown, you're not allowed to preach. Do you understand that? And Wilson would say, If I go to my hometown, I will preach the gospel. The torturers didn't believe him, so they let him go. That next Sunday, he was back in his pulpit, preaching the good news of Jesus, preaching the gospel. He was arrested again, beaten again, arrested again, beaten again, arrested again, beaten again. And this went on for three years. For three years. The 23, 24, 25-year-old man man, endured the beating and continued to press into Jesus and press the gospel of Jesus forward in the country of Uganda. Here's my question. What, What stirs in the heart of a person to have that kind of endurance? What is it in the heart of a person that would have that spiritual stamina, that godly grit, to continue to move forward and to not give up? How does your heart change at the root to where there's this lasting forever transformation that happens in your life from the inside out? We're going to be where we have been the last several Sunday mornings. If you have your copy of God's word with you, would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Going back to the love chapter, we're just kind of pulling some things out of the love chapter that reminds us of the inside work, the good work that God wants to do in us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I encourage you to open up your copy of God's word. And we'll be in the book of 1 Corinthians this entire morning. So I encourage you to open there, stay there. If you forgot your Bible, you can go to your app on your smartphone. If you forgot your smartphone, I know know you did not do that. But if you can't find your smartphone, then you can find it certainly on the screen behind me as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be just in verse 7. And Baylor students, Paul gives a little shout out to you here. Verse 7. Love bears, there you are college students, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's two things. If you have a, a, a pen with you or a pencil with you, you can underline this if you want to. On the next screen, you'll see that I did. Underline these two things. One, love bears all things. That word to bear means to constantly or to with great steadiness to hold something up. So love constantly holds up. Love constantly supports things. Love bears all things. The second phrase there is the word endures. It, it endures all things. That word endurance, you know, just means to continue to move forward, to go on, to have the strength to move on. So this is what love does. Love constantly holds us up. Love, love bears all things. Love endures all things. And, and Highland, that's what I want to talk about today, the good inside work of God in our lives with the word endurance. I look around the house today, and I would imagine some of y'all, even this past week, just kind of thought about giving up. Giving up spiritually, giving up on God, giving up on yourself. With a room this size, I am certain that there were some who thought about giving up. And if you did not think about giving up this past week, perhaps you've thought about giving up in years past. And maybe you'll think about giving up in the days ahead. But let's talk about this good work that God wants to do in us of endurance, of not Giving up, And here's my definition of endurance today in light of what we see here in this passage. And here it is. Endurance is the inner work of God. Endurance is the inner work of God that causes you to press ahead and to never, ever give up. Now, the important phrase there is an inner work, an inside work, that good work we're talking about. I'm not not saying today, hey, let's leave this place and let's be so amped up that in our own human attempts, we, 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 we continue on. We continue to endure. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'm actually saying just the opposite because probably most of us here, we have tried on our own to endure. We've tried on our own to move forward and we just fail time and time again. So I'm not talking about a human attempt I'm talking about a radical change that God makes in your heart, an inside work, a good work that compels you to continue to move forward. Now you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Our passage today is probably just one page over to the left. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And here's where we're going to be today as we talk about constantly holding up, as we talk about enduring all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23. I say this to you often on Sunday mornings. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth just as God is speaking to you today, just as the Holy Spirit would speak to our lives today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23. We'll start in verse 23. I do it all, Paul said, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them, the the them in context, the speaking of those who don't know Christ, that I may share the gospel with them and all the blessings of the good news. Verse 24, do you not know? that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. Let me stop real quick and say that does not mean that only one person wins the prize. It means that only one type of runner wins the prize. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Your Bible might say run in such a way as to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box this one just beating the air. But I discipline my body. and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others that good news, I myself should be or might be disqualified. Here's the big picture of what Paul is is saying here. He asked this question more or less. Why is it that we run? Why is it that we live life? Well, he answers that question. We we run to win a prize. We, We run to win this reward. And if we're running to win this reward, everything is subordinated below that. Everything else gets pushed out of the way as we pursue this great prize. In other words, in order to endure, in order to to win, we'll need to order our lives around that prize, around that reward. And we'll talk about what the reward is, that prize is in a few moments. So here's what's happening in this passage. Paul is using imagery of athletes, using imagery of, of runners in a race, And that would have been a very familiar image to those who lived in Corinth because the Corinthians hosted every two years the Isthmian Games. I mean, just kind of think Olympics in your mind every four years for us. But every two years, the Isthmian Games were here in Corinth. And so all the Corinthians were fully aware of what it looked like for a runner to run in a race. And so Paul is gonna use a runner here to talk about that spirit of endurance, that spirit of not of not giving up. And all he does really in this passage is he just points out the obvious. Here's some of the obvious things that Paul is pointing out. He says that runners run for a purpose, they run for a prize, and they work really, really hard. And they rearrange all their lives to get to that prize. Well, what is the prize? For a runner, if your Bible's still open, verse 25, it's just an imperishable wreath. You've probably seen this before. It's just a bunch of leaves that, that are put together and put on the crown from the head of somebody. That becomes that, that imperishable wreath wreath and so all it is really is just a bunch of uh, a crown of leaves a a very measly metal that will eventually turn into mulch how much more then do christ followers endure in this race and we rearrange our lives in order to win a prize what does it say in verse 25 that lasts forever a prize that is imperishable a prize that will not fade away so this morning i just want to give you three things from this passage and let's ask this question. Here's the question. How do we live with endurance? And if some of you have felt like giving up before, or you think you might feel like giving up, or you have a friend that feels like giving up, or a friend that is giving up, it's maybe be a good thing for you to write down somewhere. How do we live with endurance? How do we live in such a way that we will not give up? How can we live like Wilson and have this spiritual stamina, this godly grip, just to continue to move forward in following Jesus Christ? Here's Three things I want to share with you today. How do we live our lives with endurance? Here's number one. Deny the damaging things. Deny the damaging things. Uh, A runner, as Paul would use this, doesn't indulge himself or herself in anything that doesn't help them win the prize. Doesn't help them in that run. They would never indulge themselves in anything that would hinder training. Quite the opposite. He would do, she would do whatever it takes to win. Likewise, Christians who are here, Christ followers, we are to deny, push aside anything that would slow us down in our walk with Christ. We are to not to deny anything that would, would uh, prevent us from having a deeper walk with Jesus. We should deny ourselves anything that is not best for our lives in Christ. This is what Paul, I think, is saying in verse 24. Your Bible's still open. Do you not know? That in a race again, all of us are, are running, but there's only one type of runner. That receives the prize and so paul says i want you to run in that way i want you to run toward that prize i want you to run in such a way that you win such a way that you obtain that prize so the question then that's demanded of all of us at this time is simply this what are you doing in your life that hinders a deeper walk with jesus What are you doing in your life that is hindering you from an enduring daily relationship with Jesus? I'm going to give you a few seconds to actually think about it. I know I'm going to do what what churches hate to do, and that's silence for a few moments. And in a few moments, we're going to be silent. I just want you to think to yourself, what is it in my life that is hindering me from walking more closely with Jesus? Let me just help you out a little bit. It's probably either going to be a a habit or an attitude. More than likely, it's going to be a habit like something you do, a a stronghold, an addiction, a behavior, an action, or it's going to be an attitude, like a a mindset, something that you think, a a belief system that you have that's counter to scripture. So here here comes your, your few seconds. Then what is it that you're doing in your life? What is it in your life that hinders you from a deeper walk with Christ? And I'll be quiet. And what you just thought of needs to be denied. What crossed your mind just then with that question, what is it in your life that's hindering you, that's preventing you from walking more deeply with Jesus to endure in your walk with the Lord? Whatever that is, whether it be a habit or an attitude, it needs to be dropped so that you can win. It needs to be dropped so that you can move forward to orient your lives around that prize. Here's the second thing. Boldly order your life. So we're denying the damaging things in our lives. Anything that hinders us from pressing onward in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we're going to boldly order our lives. I get this from verse 25 and verse 27. Verse 25 says that we should exercise self-control in all things. Important word, all things. Verse 27 says I should discipline my body. I should keep it under control. The Greek word there means I need to make my body a slave. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. So how do we endure? How is it, Christ Father, that we do not give up? Well, the two words that Paul uses is self-control and self-discipline. You see, true athletes aren't sloths. True athletes aren't lazy. They aren't inconsistent. And as much as it pains me to say this, they don't order two large waffle fries with extra Chick-fil-A sauce every time they go through the line. They're a little bit more disciplined than that. They don't just train on Saturdays. The entirety of their life is ordered around winning that prize. You know what true athletes are not? They're not passive. They don't let just life come to them. They move into life. And so as Christ followers living these ordered, self-disciplined, self-controlled lives, what does that look like for us? Well, I think it means that we fast and we pray. We study and we work. We work. We love and we serve, we spend and we sacrifice. Not so that God will love us more. He already loves you to immense capacity. And not that we might grow in conceit on what we're able to do, but we might grow in likeness of Christ. Here's my definition for you this morning of self-control. Self-control then is recognizing and choosing the important over the fleeting. Self-control is is recognizing what is truly important and recognizing what's just fleeting and then choosing the important over the fleeting. It's choosing the God-honoring over the self-honoring. It's choosing the lasting over the temporal. The, The bottom line, college students, especially let me say this to you, a goal in your life is to do the important things more and more and the fleeting things less and less. That builds into us an order our lives a bold order that is moving us forward toward the prize toward that reward but here's the third thing how do we live with endurance let's see what paul says here how do we live with endurance number three we live with an exact purpose a precise purpose uh, Paul says it here like the athletes preparing for the Olympics they don't, they don't just kind of think about training every now and then they aren't reactive they're, they're proactive they, they train with a purpose they live their lives with a purpose which is why it says in verse 26 I hope your Bible is still open Paul says I don't run aimlessly a step out of the analogy for half a second what he is saying is I don't live my life with zero purpose then he changes the sport metaphors Now he moves from from running to boxing. And I don't box as one just beating the air. Here's what Paul is saying. He said, there's purpose in my life. There's a reason I'm living. I'm living with this exact purpose. Now, I won't make you do this this morning because it might be kind of awkward, especially if you don't know the people who are seated around you. But could you? Could you turn to someone around you and express to them in just a sentence or two what your purpose is in life? Would you be able to clearly define and articulate your purpose for living? Paul is saying here, if, if not, you're just, you're just like boxing beating the air. You're just kind of running without any aim. You're running without any target. You're running without any goal in life. If you were to turn and tell the person next to you the purpose of your life, could you? If you couldn't, I think maybe your Sunday afternoon needs to have a little time set aside (laughs) to determine why you're alive, your purpose. Paul is saying here, I want you to live with an exact purpose, but don't miss this in case I've confused anybody with this statement. It's not the race that's driving Paul, it's the reward. That that reward is, is huge. That reward is high. So if you and I are to run this spiritual life, if you're not to run the spiritual race with endurance and we're not going to give up, here's what we'll win. We'll win the prize for the glory of God aiming to hear one day the pleasure of God saying, well done. If you don't mind me changing this, good and faithful runner. Well done, that's the prize. The prize is the pleasure of God. And seeing us live a life with purpose, denying the damaging things, ordering our lives around the reward to move forward, to hear the voice of God saying, well done. That's the reward. The reward is seeing Jesus face to face and hearing the voice of God saying, well done. Done. So my question for you this morning, and this is a heavy question. I'm sorry it's such an intense sermon today, but here's, here's the heavy question. Will you rearrange the entirety of your life around that reward? Seeing Jesus face to face and hearing God say, well done, good, faithful servant. So I guess the question probably many of you have now or many of you will have in days ahead is, okay, so preacher guy, what about those days I feel like giving up? What about those days that life just stinks and and nothing's going my my way? My relationships are falling apart. My, My inside heart is just seems like it's falling apart. My days are difficult. I feel like giving up. What do I do on those days? Because some of you probably had those days in the last few days. Some of you may have some of those days in the coming few days. Let me just tell you with a lot of transparency: during the darkest moments of my life, when things kind of seemed hopeless to me, and I couldn't see any ray of light coming through at all, and I kind of wondered to myself, "Am I going to make it to tomorrow? Am I going to endure till the end of this week?" Here's the one thought that sustained me. Whatever was true is true. Whatever was true when there was a lot of light and a lot of hope, and I was kind of living on a mountain, the top of a mountain, in great joy and great cheer and great bliss. Whatever was true during the happy days is still true during the difficult days. Whatever was true on the mountain is still true in the valley. And let me just be, again, transparent as I can with you. There were days I wondered, can I, do I even want to move on to the next day? And that's what sustained me. Whatever was true yesterday is still true today. Here's how Edmund says it. Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. What was true is true. Maybe a little, my little sub point to that would be difficult days, brutal as they may seem, cannot abolish all that is true about God. On the darkest day that you have lived most difficult day you can even imagine and maybe you don't have to imagine because maybe you're there today brutal as some of those days may seem it cannot abolish it cannot take away all that is true about God because truth is truth no matter how I feel about it truth is truth no matter my circumstances so here's what I do on days I kind of feel like giving up days that are so difficult days that I'll use the word again are just brutal I do something I'm going to ask you to do at this point. And that's to create maybe in your mind, maybe you need to close your eyes for this. I'm not sure what level your ADD is, but if you need to close your eyes for this, I understand. And just make two columns, a ledger. One column on the left side, one column on the right side. Just have that in your mind for just a second. And with this ledger with two columns on one side of the column, I want you to take all the suffering that you've ever experienced in life. Let me help you remind you maybe what that was, all the pain, all the heartache, all the rejection, all the doubt, all the tears, all the misunderstandings, all the evil that you encountered, all the hatred that may have been set right at you all the malice that you endured, all the sadness, all the sleepless nights, all the fear, all the sickness, all the worry, all the confusion, all the perplexity, all the broken dreams. Just add up that column for a moment. Just add it all up. Total up whatever fantastic sum you can come up with. And then add to that every funeral that you've attended and the sadness of death. And consider all that death has taken from you. And put that on one side of the column, one side of the ledger. On the other side of the ledger, the second column, consider these things, the word of God, the promises of God, the love of God, the power of God, the plans of God, the wisdom of God, the kindness of God of God, the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, the presence of God, the peace of God, the eyes of God, the goodness of God, the testimony of God, the strength of God. Then add to that column the death of Jesus Christ, which for those who believe gave us transforming power. Then add to that the resurrection of Jesus who came forth from the tomb undefeated, holding the keys of death, and seen and proclaimed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then add into that column the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who is the down payment on all the promises of God and the guarantee of our salvation. Now put that entire sum on that side of the ledger and you do the figuring. Which is greater? Your sorrows and your disappointments or the vast immeasurable promises of of God, made to us in his word, guaranteed to us by his spirit, and then purchased for us by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see your answer there? Your answer in that ledger, your your answer in those two columns will produce for you a good work of endurance, an inside work of God that allows you to press on, to to move forward, to take the next step. But let me say again, this is not you in your own volition, your own choice, your own strength, saying, I'm gonna try harder this week. Here's what I'm asking you to do this week is to keep your eyes on Jesus. For, as you see on the screen behind me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him, here's our word, Highland, endured. Jesus endured a cross and despised the shame and he has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. You see, it's a good work, an inside work, a lasting work when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. For he, we see in Hebrews chapter 12, he is our example of endurance and a reminder that if we endure, if we do not give up, one day we will see our God seated on his throne. You see, that's the prize. That's the reward. And we should orient our lives, even rearrange our lives around that prize. So Christian, listen, do not give up. Christian, listen, do not turn back. You press forward, not in your own power. You press forward, fixing your eyes on Jesus who taught us about endurance. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to be in your presence today. We want the prize. We want to be the type of runner that wins. For the glory of God that we might see Christ face to face and hear the voice of God saying, well done, you've been a good runner, a faithful runner. You did not give up. You did not turn back. You did not give in. Father, we want the spirit that kept driving Wilson back to the pulpit time and time again. That spiritual stamina that said, I will not give up. So Father, we ask that you give us the grace to fix our eyes on you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we make this proclamation in song. Amen.